Hey there, and welcome to Health Yeah with Gene O'Connor, the president of the board of directors for the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. You can find more information about NACDD at chronicdisease.org. As always, I'm Joseph Rhodes, your friendly podcast producer. Well, today we have NACDD's very own John Robicher. John's the CEO of NACDD, and this is a very lively conversation between him and Gene. A lot of fun, very informative, but also entertaining. So let's get right to it. Welcome to the NACDD podcast series on population health improvement. We're excited to have you join us, John. I'm Gene O'Connor. I'm the current president of NACDD and a state-level public health practitioner. And you're John Robicher, the CEO of NACDD. I am. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to uh, be here. This will be fun. So many of our listeners are obviously members of NACDD. So I hope uh, people will be excited to hear from you and learn a little bit more about the association. John, can you tell us how NACDD was founded? I hear we're celebrating a big milestone in 2019. Yes, we are. Thank you uh, for asking that. We are, um, we are very excited that we've been around 30 years. We were started by uh, Jeff Copeland and Jim Marks, and you may recognize Jeff Copeland, I believe, was head of CDC, and Jim, uh, Jim Marks was the newly appointed director of the National Center for Chronic Disease and Health Promotion in 1988, 87, 88, 89, just in that era. And a group of people who were working, who were formerly directors of health promotion and education, who were working in states, met with Jim Marks. It was, and it was really a conversation. This is why conversations are so important and why we should be talking to as many people as we can about our work, said, wouldn't it be great to have a chronic disease director in every state to really champion this move from infectious disease towards chronic conditions? And so that's how Jim Marks put in place a, a, a chronic disease director in every state, supported it through um, dollars, Congress appropriated dollars by chronic condition, whether right, rightly or wrongly, that is the way that uh, these uh, programs are supported. And then states uh, take, take these dollars and try to prevent the important chronic conditions that are frankly killing and disabling millions of Americans every year. I think we do the work enormously well given the small amount of dollars that go into that. But the whole idea of the chronic disease directors came, came out of this idea, frankly, from, from CDC. Uh, working with partners. Uh, we're really excited because it's to be the 30th anniversary of the, the National Center for Chronic Disease and Health Promotion and the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors together as partners, as true partners for over 30 years uh, working on behalf of all Americans to prevent uh, and control chronic disease. And it's going to be a great celebration probably in Washington, D.C., and we want to make sure that everyone is invited, and that's our, our mission is to make sure that everybody finds a place 
for their work, whether at the chronic disease director level, at the program director level, or at the program implementation level, that there's a place for you in this association, and there'll definitely be a place for you at this celebration sometime in uh, early part of 2019. Can you tell us a little bit about NACDD? It's a great organization. The association supports state public health, governmental public health, and we do it in a variety of ways. We help advocate on behalf of CDC in support of states. We provide professional development education for our members around a variety of uh, topics. We do partnership development, I think, better than any other organization like it. We are very entrepreneurial. We meet every single partner with a hand out, looking, trying to find that intersection between what we do and what they do, not just to support the association, but also to support our members in the field who oftentimes are in governmental public health, don't get an opportunity to partner with everybody they'd like to. I feel like we are a conduit to help them do their jobs better. And then we, we typically um, are contracted through CDC to run a whole series of different programs that are related to chronic disease prevention and control, mostly prevention, and uh, we support our states by trying to put those dollars into state programs. And I'm very proud of the fact, this wasn't part of your question, but I'll throw it in there, that 86 cents of every dollar that we receive, whether it's a public dollar or private dollar, goes right out the door in program services, contracts. We try to keep a very lean organization so that we can support states in the best ways we know how. That's great. So you have also, in addition to the staff in the association's offices, consultants across the country, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that consultant model and what those folks do? Yes, it's a, it's a very cool, um, u- uh, unique uh, uh, model that um, was created. Uh, well, I'll probably talk a little bit about this because my background is rooted in community development. And somehow over the years, I've, I've been able to kind of intersect or link my, my work in community development and my work in public health together. It's, it sort of built who I, who I am. And part of that was me working for or big, other big national organizations and other state organizations, and I just, we just didn't have the flexibility to move quickly. Um, and so over the years, I, we developed a model where we would keep a small headquarters staff, and I actually call myself back office CEO. I mean, I'm on the national stage if my members want me to be there, but I'm really here to help kind of run the organization and the association. But in order to do our work, we hire consultants. And we use consultants as a vehicle for tremendous flexibility, being able to pick, you know, start programs almost immediately after funding presents itself. And then they work on a timeline, and then once the project ends, they move on to other projects or maybe work with other organizations. But the consultancy model gives association flexibility. It doesn't extend us. So in a downturn of, let's just say, our current administration decides to give $300 billion to the military, just hypothetical, and funding is cut at the CDC by somewhere between 18 and 30 percent, and our funding goes down. We still have the flexibility of, of an organization to uh, have consultants move on to other projects, but the association stays sound and solid. That's great. And they're, they're working on projects that are really, imp- I think many of them improve population health. So 
you know, the, in this podcast series, what we're, you know, doing is talking with leaders of yeah. organizations about sort of how their organization influences population health outcomes. Can you explain a little bit about those projects and the things the, the staff do and how you think it relates to population health and public health? So one of the ones I really want to tell you about is the National Diabetes Prevention Program. It's evidence-based. It was started out of uh, the Division of Diabetes under Ann Albright's leadership, and really her vision. And it, the, the, the beautiful thing about it is if we, 84 million people are at risk for prediabetes, it's an intensive population health intervention in that it take, can take up to a year, but it provides people with intensive education and support and a really uh, a goal to lose 10% of their body weight and, uh, and sustain it, keep it off. The important thing about it is it just provides people with so much support and it, it's attributable to preventing so many other diseases. I mean, it, it, if people, when people are part of this program, yes, they'll prevent diabetes. They'll also be a good way maybe for preventing heart disease and stroke. Also, arthritis, because the more body weight you lose, the less stress it is on joints. I think there's up to six attributable chronic conditions that this intervention supports. And I think it really shows the very best in what we do in public health is when we can provide you know, evidence-based. It's not just worksite wellness, anything goes, obesity prevention program or diabetes prevention program that's you know, just... Uh, a, a couple sessions talking to a nurse. This is something that people have to take seriously and do take seriously, and it's evidence-based, and it's attributable to so many other good outcomes. Those are the kinds of programs I think we want to try to implement, and we're very proud because CDC has given us, we're one of six national grantees, to implement this program and try to get employers to cover it as a covered benefit. And so one of the things I've done as an association director of a small organization, when we were only 20 people here, but I've said my pledge is we are going to be, we are, we are going to provide this as a covered benefit for those employees who want, who feel like they can, they can achieve something through this program. And that's what we want every employer across this country, st you know, states, the largest employer in every state is our state government, and we want all state governments to to take up this charge. And we'd like a lot. Of, we'd like Fortune 500 businesses and other small businesses to offer it to their employees. Yeah, I know. Here in Georgia, we've done some estimating, and we have something like 44,000 new cases a year of diabetes in our state. We're a state of 10 million people with a high obesity rate, and we know we can prevent something like. 24,000 of those cases if everyone had access to, to the diabetes prevention program here. So, and, and it's very cool. It's like, five, you know, it's, it's relatively it's somewhere between $500 and $1,000. But if you prevent diabetes, I mean, diabetes costs around $13,000 a person, you know, a year over the course of their lifetime. I mean, the savings is are tremendous. And those are the kinds of programs I mean, we have some evidence-based programs around heart disease and stroke and some other areas, but we really need to coalesce around those programs and then find ways, easier ways, ways to push it out and among the population to have them adopted. Yeah. I mean, that's great. And I know you're working with states across the country to help them 
right, through state engagement meetings, right, the consultants work with states to help bring all of those employers to the table. So it's a really it, remarkable model. Yeah, yeah that, we've, we've done it. We've done the state engagement model. Thank you for um, talking about it. 31 states. I think we've, it's 1,400 different organizations, partner organizations have come to our meetings. I can't quite remember the number of people who are attending these, but it's a remarkable coalescing of like-minded individuals. And that's what it takes. Behavior change, you know, Gene, it's the holy grail. It's like, gosh, how do you change behavior? I think we're on the road to trying to figure that out and putting the right pressures on making sure there's cost savings. Maybe there's some incentivizing that needs to go on or, or um, some gamification of behavior change where we reward people like point systems do. We all fly Delta because we all get points on Delta. Right. Shade Marriott. So there's some way for us to do this in a way that supports people. People feel like they're achieving something more than just the health benefit. We'd like everybody to feel like the health benefit is enough. But we also know just in people's heads, they like something else. We, we know there's, there's some nuance there that we've got to figure out on how to really motivate people to stay with the program. That's a, that's a really great example of, of the ways in which NACDD is contributing to improving health outcomes and population health outcomes across the country through its state partners. Are there other initiatives in addition to the Diabetes Prevention Program that you want to mention? Yeah, so we've got a, uh, we support a really cool aquatic program. I think nature supports it as well. So that's around um, arthritis. We have um, supported this, uh, the 618 initiative. I know you've talked to Ms. Um, Lorsi Mm-hmm. about that, and so it's the six most instrumental uh, interventions uh, that could have lasting effect over you know, multiple chronic conditions, internal, maternal child health and diabetes, and, um, cardiovascular health and others. So we try to um, find opportunities around that. You know, I guess I'd mentioned heart disease and stroke. We've got some really great cancer programs going on. Oh, the, the cancer uh, our cancer portfolio, CDC has asked us to do um, work around a screening for minority populations, cancer screening, skin cancer screening around minority populations. It's a very cool opportunity for us to really make a difference because many populations think they're not at risk for skin cancer. And so we're really kind of breaking out of our, our mold and really trying to work with more underserved um, populations. I know as an association, we would love to do more. I mean, we are the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors, and so people would think, wow, you must be really only focused on chronic conditions. But as an association, we want to make sure that we're supportive of, I mean, this is population health, the whole person, birth to death. How can we help women who are pregnant not get diabetes? How can we help New, new babies make sure that, and, and new children make sure that um, they're living in a healthy, safe environment. We have to do more work upstream. We have to figure out this whole idea. And I love the fact, I really believe that public health has championed this whole idea around social determinants of health, which is integral to population health. How do we make sure that every person has a safe place to live, clean food and water, has, has food security, has transportation to get to and from, medical attention, 
when they need it, has a community to go home to, so when they're discharged from medical facilities, there's, there are people there to take care of them. You can't, it, it does take a village to take care of people. And I know that better than anybody as somebody who's just suffered through kidney stones. And uh, if my wife wasn't there to take care of me, really I'd be laying on the side of the road somewhere. It's, so you need people to take care of other people. Um, we have to make sure in public health that we're at least thinking through those nuances of population health. So, so that's really interesting, and, and I, I know the social determinants piece is why many of us who work in chronic disease prevention are so passionate about this field because there, we can really see those things that might create opportunities for health for a person over their entire lifetime, right? So but when you think about the word population health, what does that mean to you? I know one of the, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast series is because Sometimes people use population health and public health interchangeably. Sometimes they use them to mean very different things. Does it, does it have any specific meaning to you? And there, there's no wrong answer yeah. here. We've gotten lots of answers. You know, I actually think population, population health and public health, I think, are a little bit different. I think population health is a little bit more rooted in the medical. I think the medical societies and the medical field have sort of co-opted the word population health. And to them, it does mean something different. Population health to them means really you know, care of a patient, maybe in a specific population. That's not what I think we're talking about. I think, to me, when we've achieved population health is when we have achieved this intersection of public health and medical health and social terms of health. I actually think population health is something we've not yet achieved. It's an aspiration. It's an aspirational word to me, at least. I want to see us birth to death, you know, cradle to grave, I want to see us have people living as healthy lives as they possibly can live, as long as they can live. I think that there is something, the fact that people, and I saw it with my mother, people struggle in the last years of their life. She lived a good life till 86, but the last six years she was uh, had dementia and lived in a nursing home. And it was not, it was as nice as we could provide, but it wasn't that great. I mean, she said at one point, you know, a gilded cage is still a cage. And I don't want, I don't think people, well, that the aspiration is not for people to live like that. We want to find ways in which pe we can help people age in place in communities around people who love them or want to care for them. And have every year be a, as healthy a year as possible. As possible. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned the piece about healthcare, how the word means something different in those healthcare settings. Are there things that you think we could be doing, and especially the folks listening to this or many of them work in chronic disease prevention control at the state level, to collaborate with those health systems in, in ways that we haven't before? I, I think we need to uh, work and ask our chronic disease directors and people who work in public health to do more convening. It's a really around a community, it's a communication issue and it's a definition issue. And I think that actually we could do more about trying to de define what population health means and the difference between the two, uh, between medical care, medical societies and public health. We talk a lot about it. It doesn't seem to get translated very well. I, I think somebody said, told me that I was in a meeting yesterday and they said you have to say something 30 times before people either understand it or believe it. We just don't have enough of those conversations. So are there trends then or opportunities 
in the area of population health improvement or in sort of chronic disease prevention and control as a whole that you see on the horizon? I mean, what, you talked about aging in place, and um, we've talked about the diabetes prevention program, the arthritis program. Are there, are there any particular trends or additional things that you haven't mentioned yet that you want to describe? Wasn't Paul Wiesner, um, it was Bill Dietz. Bill Dietz, who used to be the division uh, director of the Division of Nutrition and Physical Activity and BCD at CDC, he talked about public health as a hub-and-spoke opportunity. And I, I believe that that actually could be, a, again, an aspirational place for uh, public health to reside around the nation and that we are really interested in prevention. We really, that's the, sort of the hallmark of what we do in, in uh, public health and hopefully in population health. And that because we're good communicators, because we are trying to do the right thing for the right reasons, because we're, you know, supported, tax-supported entities, I swear it's part of the DNA makeup of every chronic disease director I've ever met. They're in it for altruistic reasons. We could, can do a better job about communicating and broadcasting the good work that we're doing in states and figure out how do we bring partners to us. You know, some of times we go, we think we're going to go to businesses because they have something we don't have. I think that's actually wrong. They don't know what we have. We need to tell them what we have and bring that to them in, in true partnership and try to spread the work that we're doing um, out towards them. Yeah, that's great. So, so you know, when we think about that workforce that's out there and listening to this podcast, and knowing that, you know, there are all these opportunities and there's this need for better health through better partnerships, I think that's yeah, the Surgeon General's the surgeon line. General, right. What, are there things you'd recommend to the listeners about ways to advance their skills? I mean, NACDD offers many opportunities. So you want to describe some of those and talk about that a little? Thank you. Well, we have uh, our Chronic Disease Academy. It's not a conference. It's actually educational um, opportunities for people to come in and talk about leadership and management skills. It's not really around any specific chronic disease typically. It's really more around uh, general um, aspects of being a better leader, being a better partner, being a better maybe a, a program manager for their program. And then I just believe that we shouldn't be afraid to talk about the good works of our program. We need to make sure that maybe one area that the association could do better and maybe our mem when our members ask for it or maybe we'll think about working on this is how do we, um, how do we come become better communicators? And how do we make sure that we're broadcasting the good work we're doing and the work we want to do? But people do need to be trained around that. One of the things I think that's hard in public health is there's not a lot of money that goes into public health in general. Typically, they only get training once or maybe twice a year, and we know that's not enough. People need ongoing support and training in order to get their message out and across and for them to really understand what their message is. And so. We are, um, we'd like to do more of that. We'd like to really make sure our members are supported. They have the tools they need, they have the message they need, and then they have the confidence to deliver the message to the broader community. That's great. And I know that because I've been through some of these things that NACDD also offers, for example, STAR, site visits for, for chronic disease programs, and there are 
many conference calls and webinars. Do you want to talk about those too? Yeah. So we, we do try to bring in on, uh, national partners. We have a great webinar series. We have a first Thursday series. We have a general member webinar series that speaks to important practices of our members. Our, our STAR um, system is one for specifically for state health departments where we'll go in and uh, look at a chronic disease branch bureau division and, and give them recommendations for how they can improve their programs based on other national programs. Uh, and one of the things I'm really proud about that is we bring in sometimes former, sometimes current chronic disease directors to learn more about what other states are doing and then to apply their, their learnings either back to their own states or, or to share, mentor with other chronic disease directors. And I think that's an important part of training up. We are the, the, the chronic disease director who participates in that program becomes a better practitioner and then the chronic disease director or their staff who are receiving the assistance become better practitioners at what they do because they're getting education from someone who's actually in the field doing the work. So, John, thanks for that. Those are really um, terrific opportunities, and I think especially the star site visits with the chronic disease directors. I know in, in the chronic disease unit in Georgia, we found that really helpful to have folks come in who had that experience. And the networking opportunities as well that NACDD offers are are really pretty amazing as well. Working in chronic disease prevention and control is actually a pretty hard job. Even if you love prevention, there's a lot to master and a lot of things to keep in mind as you go about um, your work. Especially, I think, convening people and bringing together partners is a challenging part of our jobs, important but challenging. Is, is there any advice you'd have for people who've been in the field a long time and are looking to advance their leadership skills as well? You know, we look towards the people who've been in the field a long time as the, these are the kinds of people that we really want to make sure to go out and mentor other um, people in the field, not just at the chronic disease director level, at all levels of public health. We want to make sure we don't lose that institutional knowledge. We, don't, we want to make sure that we really keep that history as part of who we are and what we do and make sure that those learnings get passed on to people who are currently in the field. I think we can do that in a variety of ways through podcasts, for example, and also bringing back the bringing people, those people back as trainers in our chronic disease academy. And I think you've seen that over the years. We actually have former chronic disease directors who will teach at our academy. So that's another uh, area. Uh, and then you, you should look to the association to be supportive of the work you do. When, we, when, we, when there are opportunities, and, and we can't do this a lot, but when there are opportunities for our members to participate in a meeting and maybe they can't always get permission or the funding to do that, they should look towards the association to see what can we do to help you do your work. And, you know, we, we, uh, there's opportunities for some chronic disease directors to come to, on a hill day with us and we'll, we will pay for their travel and their per diem to participate with us. And those are important days to educate policymakers. Some people, people can't do it. They're prohibited through their state law. But there's others out there who can, and we're looking for those individuals to step up. We also would love to have more chronic disease directors just participate in the association, be a member of the board, 
participate on a committee, I guarantee that if you put the time into the association, you will get more out of it than you put into it. We will really provide you with a quality opportunity that will, you will be lasting. John, folks are interested in listening to this podcast but may not know about their membership in NACDD or want to join. Is there a website they can go to? Thank you for asking. Our website is, is a wonderful website put together by a brilliant communications team here at NACDD. It's www.chronicdisease.org. I would be remiss, truly, if I didn't thank our staff. We have a terrific staff here. It works very, very hard um, tirelessly on you know, finance, operations, communications, member meeting engagements. It's a great group of people, and all we only exist to serve our members. And so please join the association if you haven't already joined. Uh, you can join as an associate member. You don't actually have to work in a state health department. You can join in, uh, if you work in a university, if you just work in public health or are interested in public health. And we have a lot of student members and we have a lot of local health department members. So we really are trying to be an inclusive organization, but we do want you and need you to participate in order to make this meaningful for everyone. That's great, John. Thanks so much. I feel like we've covered a lot of territory in terms of what NACDD is and what it does, how it works through states and some of your initiatives, and then also the opportunities for listeners to really advance their skills um, in, in chronic disease. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? As you know, most of them are working in state or local health departments, although we may have some listeners from um, population health um, areas within hospitals or health systems. Any advice for them as they go about their work or anything else you'd like to share? Well, just uh, look for us as partners in, in, your, in your cause. We can't take on every cause. You can't be uh, a mile wide and an inch deep, but we are interested in meaningful partners who can, interested in prevention, um, who want to uh, be inclusive and innovative in the work we do. And I think we're always trying to think about around the bend, what, what is the next chronic disease that we should be preventing or, or condition that we need to be looking towards? And we want to work with you to make sure that we can improve the lives of the people we're trying to serve and also to improve your life, those practitioners on the field. How can we be supportive of you in your work and um, if we can achieve those two things, I think we'll have achieved our mission. Thanks. This has been very informative. John Robisher, CEO for the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Gene. Like I said, very fun, but very informative. And as we always say on the podcast, if you want to know more information about NACDD, go to chronicdisease.org. Well, that's going to wrap up another episode of Health Yeah!, I hope you found it informative and entertaining like I did. On behalf of NACDD and Gene O'Connor, thank you very much for listening.